Classical Dialogues, a podcast from Oakdale Academy in Waterford, Michigan. This is a time for those in the classical Christian education movement to grow and learn from each other and to help others know more about this form of education that focuses our students on the love, appreciation, and study of those things that are good, true, and beautiful. From Oakdale Academy, welcome to this episode of Classical Dialogues. Well, welcome to this episode of Classical Dialogues from Oakdale Academy. Uh, We are thrilled to continue uh, dialoguing with people inside the classical Christian world movement and pleased to be joined by my friend, Dr. Dan Copeland from Hillsdale College. Dan, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, David. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, always always a joy to, to connect with you and uh, to hear the, the great things going on over on campus there. Uh, as, we, as we usually start with everybody, uh, can you give us, um, people know you uh, in the movement, but maybe some of our parents have heard your name uh, and some of their interest in this this world, but you tell us kind of how you got to Hillsdale and and, uh, and through your own educational and career journey. Yeah, thanks a lot. Well, I'm um, I would be remiss if I didn't start with my parents, who actually provided a, just a, a a godly home. They were missionaries, um, and so I grew up. Uh, I'm around, um, you know, the Bible and you know, going to church every week, and we even had family devotions. We prayed together, and so you know that. Um, I'm just very, very grateful, you know, that my parents um, provided that for me and for my two older sisters. And they always provided a quality education and all, all the way through. And I was homeschooled. I went to a couple of different Christian schools and ultimately graduated uh, on my last year of high school from a, a, a public high school just north of Detroit. Um, there. So um, I went to Liberty University in Lynchburg. Um, uh, Jerry Falwell School. In fact, I I was able to see Jerry Falwell a number of times while I was a student there, and yeah, and had to chat with him, and that was that was kind of nice. I met my wife there. Um, she is a nurse, um, and in fact, here at Hillsdale, I teach in the in the education department, um, and in the graduate school of classical education. And not a mile from where I sit, uh, my beloved actually runs uh, the the health services on campus. So um, as a family, we're kind of committed to Hillsdale in that regard. Um, I started my career um, as as a high school Spanish teacher in a public school, and um, I felt the frustration at, um, that many you know Christian educators uh, feel um, in, in not being able to be as uh, as a straightforward and 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 outgoing in my faith. Uh, but I tried to live my faith in my classroom, you know, so that my students could see. And academically, you know. Uh, the school was okay, um, but I hope that I tried to provide an environment in my own high school classroom where my students were eager to learn um, and that they did learn, you know, while they were there. Um, I ended up going, um, or while I was a classroom teacher, I earned a master's degree in linguistics um, at Oakland University, very close to where you are. Right down the road. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, And and that was a good experience. but I really enjoyed working with young teachers while I was working at the high school. And so I thought, I, you know, I'd like to do this full time. So I went back to school as a full time Ph.D. student um, up in East Lansing at Michigan State University. And, and I completed a Ph.D. in education there. And 
I worked at a state university for a couple of years. And then um, in 2005, there was a notice um, um, that Hillsdale College was looking for an education professor. And uh, I joined I joined the faculty in 2006. Um, and I, I have been here ever since. Um, and uh, and it's just been a great place to work. Um, um, when I arrived here uh, at Hillsdale, we had a state approved teacher preparation program like many uh, colleges and universities around the state. Um, but within a couple of years, we realized that the mission of Hillsdale College and its approach to, I would argue, a classical undergraduate experience, um, the demands of the state were not consistent with the mission of the institution. And so um, around 2008, 2009, we decided um, uh, to end our relationship with uh, the state of Michigan in terms of the certification process. And from that time, actually a little bit prior to that, um, we just kind of threw ourselves, um, you know, fully into uh, a classical K-12 education and preparing uh, teachers to go and teach in private uh, 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 classical schools and also charter schools. So, yeah, and and I remember having this conversation with you a couple of times when I graduated from Hillsdale, which uh, predates you, which makes me feel yeah. good. Um, <laughs> Uh, that I I got my state teaching license and just thrilled at the the stance that that the college takes and so over over the years you've been there you've seen not just that change but now you have a master's uh, program there uh, can can you talk to us a little bit about what you do if it's not state teacher preparation but mm -hmm. um, but what's going on at Hillsdale both undergrad and, and graduate school for classical ed yeah thanks for that opportunity to explain. Um, so uh, a little bit of history connected to the certification program when we informed of the state of michigan that we were going to end our our certification program um they actually told us you're going to die on the vine why would anyone take a class in education if you don't have certification as as, as kind of the bait to take the classes um and what we discovered is when we when we aligned our classes with the mission of the institution that we discovered more students on campus wanted to take our classes and actually, uh, you know, some of the most talented, um, hardworking students actually wanted to take our classes as well. So around that time, we, we actually surveyed a number of classical schools around the country and asked them, what, what do you want in a teacher what, um, in order to teach in your classical schools? And what we heard from that survey is, we, you know, we want them to know, you know, to be broadly educated and Hillsdale you know, has a broad liberal um, uh, a core curriculum. Um, it makes up about half of the undergraduate experience. So we already had that in place. And they also wanted to make sure that, that teachers knew the subjects that they were gonna teach. Well, you know, you know, the majors and the minors here at Hillsdale have a very good reputation of being academically rigorous. Um, but in addition to those things, we heard that they also wanted um, uh, the teachers who they hired to have uh, an understanding of, uh, of education from a kind of a philosophical perspective to be able to answer those big questions about education. What is education? What is the cultivation of wisdom and virtue? And so we kind of beefed up our philosophy of education class. We also heard that they wanted um, uh, the, the people who they wanted to hire, we wanted, uh, you know, they wanted to have them um, experience a classroom and not come into 
the teaching experience completely raw. Um, and so we have Hillsdale Academy right here on campus. And so um, we have a relationship with Hillsdale Academy where our students can go down uh, and observe some, you know, master teachers at work in the classroom and actually maybe even be involved in that classroom experience. So we, we, we created these courses in our education department at the undergraduate level around, around a minor that we call classical education. And it, it's the smallest minor on campus and that's actually by design because we want students to focus on the core curriculum. We want our students to focus on the major that they're gonna study in. But we also want to give them a grounding in the liberal arts. So our minor in classical education has four required classes. It has an English grammar class. We call that our education 101. So if you went to a state university, education 101 would be this introduction to teaching. And we said, we're going to take a different approach. We're going to call it introduction to language. And we really wanted our teachers to understand how their native language and the language of instruction operates. So we require English grammar, uh, a course in logic and rhetoric that actually became part of the core curriculum across the college. And then we also offer a three credit class um, as part of the minor. One of the required classes, a classical quadrivium class. So a way of looking at the world around around us um, through the lenses uh, uh, of the mathematical arts. And then the, uh, the only other required class is that philosophy of education class um, in, that I already described. We then have a number of electives, including that apprenticeship um, experience that our students can take at Hillsdale Academy. Um, I teach a classic children's literature class on campus. Um, and then we have a number of uh, more practical classes, like we have a phonics instruction class, how to teach early reading instruction, but then other classes um, that we call special topics or master teacher classes, where where we have our students look at uh, particular people in the you know the Western tradition that have uh, contributed in a meaningful way towards our understanding of education, whether that's Plato, Aristotle. Uh, I'm Augustine, uh, I'm a Shakespeare. Um, next term, we have a course on Tolkien and Lewis that we're offering, um, looking at their works um, um, as a lens to answer these kind of fundamental questions about education. So um, it, um, that a lot of that came about in 2009, 2010, but pretty soon after that, we were getting students who were graduating from Hillso going off to teaching classical schools like yours um, but they wanted more and they wanted to continue their education and pursue um, um, classical education. So we heard pretty quickly after that, that um, we got questions from our former students and people who have heard about us and heard about our reputation in the classical education world. They said, why don't you offer uh, you know, a master's degree? If anyone can offer, I mean, a master's degree in classical education, it should be Hillsdale. And so we took that seriously and we began to design uh, a master's program in classical education. We spent years uh, you know, designing that and then we kind of put it on the shelf for the right time. And uh, the right time was two years ago. And so we launched um, our, our, our brand new graduate school of classical education uh, where students can earn, earn a master's degree in classical education. It's a two year residential full time my 36 credit hour, uh, you know, master's program in classical education. Um, 
uh, the first year of that program is is exclusively um, looking at education through through the lenses of history philosophy and humane letters three different approaches or lenses of looking at this thing called education we only have one entry point it's in the fall of the year because we want our students to take all of those core classes in in the masters together as a cohort and so then in the second year there's only one required class which is uh, the pedagogy and curriculum of classical education which i teach and that's a course where it asks students, okay, you've, you've got a background now in philosophy, in history, in humane letters. How does that then work itself out um, in a classical K-12 school? So in light of what you know about human formation and the cultivation of wisdom and virtue, what does that mean in a third grade geography class? Um, and so, so let's get really practical. How, how then do we teach? what then should students learn in light of that understanding of what it means to be educated. The rest of the second year is, um, is, uh, is electives and students can choose a wide variety of elective courses based on their interests. If they're interested in taking courses in the ancient and uh, uh, the classical liberal arts, um, if they want to take um, a course whether it's a deep dive into a particular author or trend or kind of thinker, um, and, um, or um, we have a number of people who come to the graduate program who want to go into leadership and they want to, uh, to be involved in classical education at, at, at some level of leadership, whether that's a, a lead teacher in the lower school, an athletic director, an assistant headmaster, and maybe even uh, I'm eventually over time, I'm a head of school. And we think that this program um, um, is a good program that will get them kind of started in the right direction. So <clears throat> one thing I'll add is that, uh, you know, thanks to the generous donation of the uh, of our friends, we're actually able to offer this entire graduate, um, residential graduate program completely tuition free. Um, and, yeah. and in addition, everyone who's admitted to the program um, has a guaranteed graduate research assistantship that actually helps to offset you know, their living expenses as well. So we didn't want any kind of, um, you know, financial situation to hinder uh, uh, people from being able to pursue a graduate degree in classical education. Um, and so we kind of just take that off the table by being able to offer this generous, uh, you know, scholarship in this way. And if I could add one more thing, um, sure. um, coming in <laughs> June, we're going to um, take that program, which will continue uh, our residential you know, graduate program, which will be the standard for everything else you know, that we do in the future. Um, we're actually going to open up another program you know, based on, uh, on that residential program, and we call it a hybrid program. And what that is, is we're going to bring students, graduate students to campus during the summer for one week and give them kind of an education boot camp experience yeah. in classical education. And then the rest of the courses they'll complete um, over the academic year online. And the courses taught um, in that uh, uh, online will be will be taught by um, uh, you know faculty who are here or or friends of us who understand um, the institution and understand you know, the mission of the institution as well. 
And so we think that we're going to be able to offer a high quality graduate school experience, uh, combining that, that during the summer residential experience in the online experience as well. Um, so our, our first cohort will be here in June of 2024, which is, you know, nine months away or so, or, or six months away or something. And, and so it's coming very, very quickly. And, um, uh, you know, but we're excited about that to happen. So, yeah, it's, it's really exciting to watch how uh, the graduate program has grown. And, you know, Dan, when we, we look at just the classical Christian world in particular, what, three schools in the 1980s and five to 700, depending on who's counting uh, today. I, I love the desire of some of your master's students to, to move into leadership roles where, wherever they might be, because uh, with this explosion uh, of schools, we need leaders. And I think it's, it's great. So, you know, the program is, is really good. I've been able to visit with, with some of your mm-hmm. students in the past, but you know, from a from a broader perspective, as you even start this hybrid program, how does how does Hillsdale fit into um, helping to shape the classical Christian or just the classical world? Yeah, we're happy to be involved in it, and I, and, and I think you're right. Um, um, I'll say this: uh, I, I really push back against, and I think you you do the same. Um, that classical education is kind of the next big thing, right? Um, 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 and as as many of our colleagues in the classical Christian school movement um, would argue alongside us is that it's actually a return. It's a recovery, right. uh, you know, to to an older and, and I would say a truer way of of learning and and and, and human cultivation um, as well. And so in order to do that, um, um, we need to we need to continue to push back against the idea that classical education is the next big thing or any kind of a fad. And and that's why I think an institution like Hillsdale College is 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 positioned well to be able to contribute um, to the classical Christian education movement because it offers that gravitas because. Hillsdale has been doing it for so long. Now, we're, we're, we haven't been as committed as we are today to, to K-12 education. The majority of our work here at Hillsdale has been in the undergraduate um, you know, kind of space, but we see it um, just as an opportunity to contribute to what all of these classical educators are doing around the country and quite frankly, around the world to be able to, to offer some of that stability and that gravitas, as I said, and that link to a tradition that is, is a centuries, if not millennia old. And so I think that's how, how we can contribute to that. But, uh, um, it, you know, it, it isn't just about the past. Um, as you say, you know, classical education and classical schools are, uh, are just expanding rapidly around the country. And, in order for that trend to continue, we're, we're going to need leaders and we're going to need leaders who are grounded in something meaningful and in something true. And, and, and I hope that we can contribute uh, you know, to that. And I think we have been contributing to that here at Hillsdale College. Yeah. And, and I love that answer, Dan, because it's, mm. you know, I think about it from, from the perspective here at Oakdale. I think of a couple of things, the, the amount of times we've been at the Hillsdale Classical Schools mm-hmm. Job Fair and have a desire to continue to hire Hillsdale grads mm-hmm. because of the way that they're trained more than just in education and, 
mm-hmm. you know, and everything that would typically come with that. They're, they're trained in those things that are, that are good, that are true, and that are beautiful. Um, so much so, you talked about gravitas, or gravitas a couple of times. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we have such an affinity here. We're Oakdale, Oak for Oakland mm-hmm. County, Dale for Hillsdale, yeah. because of the, the assistance of the college lent, mm-hmm. you know, our founding family. So, mm-hmm. you know, but as we, as we kind of impact, um, you know, our 115 or so families here and, and hopefully more in the future, um, you know, we also want to add to the, the conversation around classical Christian, um, the, the overall movement. So, you know, from your perspective in, in all that you all do there at Hillsdale College, what would you say are kind of the, the challenges, the opportunities for this classical movement right now? Yeah, indeed. So, so the interesting thing is that, is that with, with a success and with growth, um, it, it often brings brings attention um so so um you know for for so many years you know classical schools were doing a good job and they're and as you articulated early on they were few in number um and and i think that the what i call the education establishment um which is you know um a more uh, traditional public education and all that goes with it the teachers unions the state departments of education and all that everything that goes with it they could ignore classical schools and classical education just because they were so small but what's interesting in the last few years especially post-covid is that there there's going to be a point here if we're not already here where the growth of classical education is going to expand to the point where they can ignore it no longer and then with that we'll get more attention and we'll um and not necessarily the kind of attention that we're going to want. And they're going to begin to throw a lot at us. Um, and, and we need to be ready for that because it is coming. Um, and they're going to try everything. I often say about the establishment, uh, you know, the establishment is often, often poor at many things. Uh, you know, they don't do a good job even, even at the fundamental things. But one thing they are really, really good at is protecting the establishment. And so when, <laughs> when classical education gets to the point where it becomes a threat to what the establishment is doing if it already has not um it it it's going to be difficult and we need to be prepared for that we need to we need to come together we need to uh i'm a support kind of the foundational elements um and that includes um contributing to the local school um being involved with the local school, but it also means looking beyond the local school as well, contributing in terms of professional organizations, uh, uh, classical publishers, um, uh, um, all of those things that go into place that will allow classical education to continue. And if we don't have those in place, we're not gonna have the stability that we're gonna need in order to withstand the coming storm. Yeah, I love it. And we were, um, as as we record this last night, we had a, a big association meeting for our parents and we mm-hmm. spoke about some of those same things that, you know, it's, it's really important what we do culturally at Oakdale because we're impacting generations, you know, in our, in our goal, generations of, of this world for Jesus Christ. Um, but, but it is, you know, it's those concentric rings. <laughs> you want to mm-hmm. focus on Oakdale, but then Oakland County, then Michigan, and then the country and That's the right. world as much as we're called to do that. Um, in our in our own sphere, so uh, great. Uh, Dan, as as we close up, always 
always enjoy our conversations. Always, I always Indeed. glean a bunch from our conversations and your wisdom and the work that you do. But um, always ask this last question of everybody uh, as we try and continue to get our parents and any of our other listeners, those who are interested in a classical um, education for themselves, uh, for their children, because we think that everybody continues to learn all the time. Uh, a book recommendation from you, uh, something that you find uh, uplifting for your own uh, soul, uh, for your mm. own mind, or something that you've read recently that's that's challenged you in a good way that you'd recommend to our listeners. Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you so much for that. And, I was going to say it can't be a children's literature one, but I won't put that. <laughs> I won't put that on you. Yeah, good, good, good. I, actually, I do appreciate that. And, and of course, as any believer would say, uh, uh, you know, you know, other than the Bible, so I'll say right. That, yes, uh, absolutely. Right. right, right. Right. So, so um, it's an easy choice for me and, and I'm glad you didn't put the restriction on me because uh, I, I would just say, if you haven't read the wind in the willows, um, I knew you were uh, going to say it, that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. By Kenneth Graham. It is, it, it is, uh, I would argue one of the best, um, you, you know, explanations, treatments about how to be a good friend um, um, it, at least in the English language, maybe in any language. So, so um, I would highly recommend um, it's, it's an enjoyable read. You'll get lost um, along the riverbank. So um, I would highly recommend uh, The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. Excellent. The Wind in the Willows. So please pick it up. If you haven't read it, it is absolutely worth it. I wasn't mm -hmm. sure. Maybe you might have thrown The Princess and the Goblin in there. But <laughs> that's right. The Wind, the wind in the Willows, it is. Uh, so right. uh, Dan, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I uh, really, really appreciate your friendship uh, to Oakdale, to me, and, and to, to the classical world. I uh, really appreciate your time with us. All right. Thanks, Dave. It's been my pleasure. As we wrap up this episode of Classical Dialogues, we thought it would be a good opportunity to share some of the things going on in our classrooms. We just had a great conversation with Dan Copeland from Hillsdale College. I'm joined now by Ms. Catherine Sinkovitz, our Dean of Academics, and we thought we'd take the, just the last few minutes sharing some of the things we are doing in our classes and uh, kind of share some of those uh, those dialogues that we have the opportunity to, to share. So Ms. Sinkovitz, what's going on in, uh, in some of your literature classes? Ooh, yeah, I'm teaching senior year modern literature um, this year, and we just finished up The Great Gatsby, which is, I think, kind of the upper of the fall semester. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of uh, a lot of depressing things in modern lit, but such such is the way of the 20th century. Because um, we started out with The Power and the Glory by Graham Greene for their summer reading, but then we spend the first couple weeks of school on that. So those are, are great conversations about sacrifice and things like that. Um, then The Heart of Darkness huh. by Joseph Conrad, which is a, a gloomy trek through, much so. yeah. <laughs> through uh, Africa and the rush for Africa. Um, so the Great Gatsby, even though it, no no spoilers, but sad ending still uh, is a little more, you know, of an upper, right. <laughs> better 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 conversations uh, about. Well, I know I know that. the next book though is not. not yeah. Much better. Okay. In, in so I told you it was bloom, the but... it was the bright spot in the right. darkness <laughs> because after Great Gatsby we do um, of mice and men John Steinbeck, yeah. which is pretty bad. They I told the kids right before they started. That you know, it's there's some darkness here, but it's so good for the discussion of of ethics, um, which we begin, you know, pulling to my other class. I'm teaching eleventh grade apologetics and moral philosophy, which is this quarter at least all about ethics and things like that. Um, so they they talk about 
in apologetics and moral philosophy, they talk about utilitarianism and um, relativism, all these things. And then they get to see a lot of those things worked out in literature this year in 11th. And then, as I said, in 12th grade with Of Mice and Men and things like that. So those conversations about ethics and philosophy come to bear in the literature, which is fun. Very cool. And uh, Great Gatsby, were they they all enthralled by the like the, like the Gilded Age. The glitz the, and glamour, yeah. yeah. It took them longer to get into it than I thought it would. Oftentimes, I think if anyone's already seen a movie version, they already yeah. are into it, but I don't think anyone in my class had seen a movie version yet. Um, it took them a little while. I, it's pretty good, easy to reel them in with hating on Daisy Buchanan, yeah. which is being <laughs> just the worst character ever. Um, but it's okay. You don't have to like Daisy. You shouldn't like Daisy. Um, so it took a little while, but no, it, I really like teaching The Great Gatsby to seniors. Um, There's some really good dialogue in the classical world about um, 12th grade and introducing them to real life issues a little bit more concretely and, and, you know, less abstractly than we already do all all through the grades. But in the 12th grade, um, The Great Gatsby lets us talk about marriage and romantic relationships and the kind of behavior we can and should expect from other people in a relationship and and what we should not put up with um, and what kind of behavior is truly loving and what is just obsession or infatuation or lust or those kind of things. Um, and, and they're much more able to handle that as, as seniors who are some of them are dating or, or soon to be and things like that. So it, it brings up really good conversation. Yeah. Dan, in, in the podcast that we'd recorded at the front part of this, of course, recommended The Wind in the Willow as mm. the greatest book about friendship. Yeah. And You Have the Great Gatsby, Then of Mice and Men. I feel almost so heady with my sophomore class in statesmanship. We spent the first six, seven, eight weeks on Cicero's The Republic. Very scholarly. Very scholarly, very <laughs> deep thinking. And I have a great group of sophomores that, uh, that embraced it and argued a lot. And I'd love to say they argued well and some, sometimes... Sometimes they did, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes they didn't. Uh, I think they got worn out by Cicero. And I can see that. Bad news is we're reading Cicero's Laws now. So we can do still, the whole thing? We're going to do the, uh, all the three books that we have complete. But okay. uh, yeah, it's, it's, it'll, be a, it'll be a long till November to get through Cicero. And then uh, I think we go to Marcus Aurelius' Meditations. And then there's a hope we'll try and tackle some of Aristotle's ethics this group could probably get it, but I have to think long term. Will, will that be something before we go into our own founding documents? Yeah, but it's really interesting when you when you look with them at some of the some of the things that Cicero talks about in his Republic, because he obviously reflects back what you know, the ancient Greeks would have done as and said as well. He talks a lot about natural law. He talks a lot about justice, um, and he talks a lot about the the importance of education. And education is is training for a statesman. And Cicero would make the, the beautiful argument that if you're really going to disagree with somebody, that's that's fine, but you have to understand their vantage point mm. as well to truly understand the, the totality of, of an argument so you can choose your side correctly. And for a tenth grader, yeah, for a tenth grader, that's that's a struggle at times because they just want to prove their point so quickly. And and I was I was impressed it it reminds me, and I, I kept pointing them to, you know, Cicero didn't have the incarnation of, of Christ to, to understand truth in its totality or mm-hmm. its completeness yet. But 
reminded them, and something we'll probably talk much more about next semester is then you had, you know, the greats of the early church and, and through church history of like, Thomas Aquinas and how he would take those thoughts of Cicero and Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and, and you know, line by line um, disprove uh, teachings or things that went outside of the bounds of Christianity. So it's really interesting for them to see because they think statesmanship, they just want to jump into a discussion about politics right. uh, immediately. And we, we said, we got we to gotta slow things down and back them up a little bit to understand why we even have government and then talk about what our role is in government. So it's been really interesting. It's, it's really beautiful to look at this course progression that we have, um, both what you're talking about, your statesmanship course for sophomores, and then by apologetics and moral philosophy for juniors as part of the the classical studies track. And I think it's interesting to see how we're covering these same topics, um, but they kind of get more global the older they get, which kind of feels backwards in a way. You might almost think, you know, you start global and then you get more particular, but because of how they're growing and developing as, as high schoolers, they start with rhetoric, the speaking skill, and being trained in that in their ninth grade year. Then they go to you and in statesmanship, as you're saying, look at the use of that rhetoric for the good of the, the polis. Um, and then they come to moral philosophy and apologetics, and it's using the same kind of things that you're talking about. In fact, I think we might read Aquinas, and we certainly mm-hmm. read um about natural law and those kind of things from from Lewis and, and others about how to form an opinion about the divine and, and then share that in the through the gospel as as evangelizers and then it all culminates in their senior year in their capstone when they are asked to use all this speaking ability thinking ability um the idea of of leading well from statesmanship the idea of worship well all those things um to kind of share with the world in their capstone it's it's yeah. a nice progression. And it's interesting. I know from being right around the corner from where you teach the conversations that you all have, it's been interesting to to ask the question that I know one of our other teachers, um, Mrs. Streetman, Heidi Streetman, has had with the same 10th graders uh, as they've read Beowulf. Mm. And I asked them a similar question. I said, well, why do you, why do you read this? And their immediate thought, of course, is because, because you told us we had to. It was on the book list, right? <laughs> I said, but why, why are the traditions important? Why are these things that we talk about with Cicero? Why is it important that you read Lewis and, and the, and the others? And they're starting to, they're starting to grasp it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really fascinating to watch a group of students that, that have been around for a while mm-hmm. uh, as, as, as both of the classes we teach have students who've been around for a while here at Oakdale, watch them grapple with those things. And, you know, maybe they've, maybe they've struggled with it and why do we have to do this? Why? Why do you have to take Latin and decline verbs and all those things? But they're they're starting to see it. They're starting to see a bigger picture, and it's that that beautiful shaping that that we're helping our parents to do. It's really exciting to to watch it come along. Yeah, it's it's what Mrs. Tabor, as rhetoric school head, her podcast will come out shortly, um, and she talks about this this rhetoric school as the culmination, the fruition of all the work that's done from the grammar and how much work is done in, in teaching someone to read. Um, it takes many years and, and then equipping them with virtuous habits in the logic school, helping them train their minds to think in, in clear and, and rational ways. And all of this converges with their own kind of personal and spiritual maturity into these really, really beautiful and deep conversations in the high school that 
are just so life-giving. It's yeah. an honor to teach it's really them. Exciting. It really is. It really is. Well, thanks for these few minutes of, uh, sure. of discussion, dialogue. And uh, as we, we wrap up this episode, uh, both with Dr. Copeland and then the two of us just sharing uh, some dialogue about the things that, uh, that we love doing, the things that we're passionate about here. I encourage you to check back often as we continue to release more episodes, faculty and staff here at Oakdale, as well as some updates going on in the school and then our friends inside and outside of Oakdale in the classical world here on Classical Dialogues. Thank you.